Everyone, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 in the overflow with Franklin Campus, Perry, Oklahoma. Everyone together, let's uh, jump right in. Sometimes one of you will ask me, Brother Tim, why don't you preach more out of the book of Revelation? Uh, I feel like I preach uh, out of the book of Revelation. I I love the book of Revelation. However, the book of Revelation is different, maybe not for the reasons that, that, that you think. Um, Turn back to the very last page of your Bible, probably, Revelation chapter 22. This isn't the sermon, but I want you to see this. Verse 18 and 19, the book of Revelation, ought to make you stop and pause before you quickly turn to Revelation and start to preach. It says this, chapter 22, verse 18. I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from the book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Uh, Revelation is is literally the only book in the Bible that has a curse attached to it. Uh, But this is a curse, and it's a curse that is directed toward the person who would take Revelation and then try to add to it or take away from it. And I'll be real honest with you, in my lifetime, not, not judging other pastors or teachers, but, but a lot of the people who, who I've ever heard talk about Revelation, they added a lot. They added a whole lot. Anybody preaching the book of Revelation, if they come out knowing more than the book of Revelation knows, they've added something. Did you understand? And there are literally people who have added charts and maps and timelines that the Scripture just never really gives us. And I really think that folks like that should stop and pause at that curse at the end of Revelation. You don't get to do that. You don't get to know more about the second coming than Jesus himself claimed to know. Do you understand what I'm saying? If anybody comes out knowing more than the Bible knows about the second coming, they've added something. They've made a lot of it up. And there's a curse attached to that. I I never want to do that. I I preach Revelation trembling. The fact is, as curious as we all are, the book of Revelation does not tell us everything that we want to know about the second coming or the end of the world. The book of Revelation doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. Everything you need to know. And what we're about to read right now is probably the biggest part of what you need to know. Stop right now. Take your hand and put it on your chest. I want you to feel your heartbeat. Be real quiet. Feel it beat. What you need to know is that one day, should the Lord tarry, you're going to die. It's really impossible for you and me to understand, but you're going to die. Feel that heartbeat. Chances are, I don't know how or when it'll happen to you or to me, but uh, let's say you'll be laying in a bed. And uh, your breathing is going to slow down. Uh, if you've ever seen it happen, it's, it's, a, it's a bewildering thing to behold, but, but a person's breath just begins to slow down. And your breathing will do that one of these days. It's just going to slow Your breaths will become so shallow and so far apart that the people around your bed will wonder how you just keep going. But you'll continue for a while. You'll take these very shallow, very, very slow breaths. And then your breathing will just stop. 
Did you understand? Your breathing will just stop. You'll, you'll be finished breathing. And then that heart, can you feel it beating? It'll just turn off. Your heart will stop beating. I don't know how long it takes. I don't know what happens next. But, but I know that sometime after that heart stops beating, your brain's going to turn out like a light too. Your, your thoughts are going to stop. Do you understand? Your thoughts, your brain is just going to stop. It is impossible for you and me really to, to imagine not being. But one of these days, you and, you and, you and I, we're going to die. We will close our eyes and never open them again. But here's the thing. After that, after you die, you are going to wake up somewhere else. Outside of this body and apart from the physical world, you're going to wake up someplace else. And you're going to face what happens next. And this is what happens next. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. Listen to what John sees, because what John sees, you're going to see. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as a Recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. And death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband I heard a loud shout from the throne saying look God's home is now among his people he will live with them and they will be his people God himself will be with them he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars... 
Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Jump down to verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day, because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Take your seats. I, I want you to pay attention to what John sees. Because what John sees, you're going to see one day. You're going to see. Verse 11. And I saw a, a great white throne and the one sitting on it. Now that's uh, amazing. You've all heard perhaps of the great white throne. Understand, it's called great not because it's some sort of impressive chair. It's not the throne that is great. The throne is called great because of the one sitting on it. Understand, at the end of all things, when everything is wrapped up and finished and we all stand naked souls before the throne of God, you understand, there is going to be one sitting on that throne. And this is very, very important for you to know. You're going to stand before the God on the throne. And you've really got to understand that on that day, on that throne, it, it won't be Buddha sitting on the throne. Do you understand that? It, it won't be Buddha and it won't be Krishna it won't be any human being. It won't be the Pope. It won't be Barack Obama. It won't be Charlie Sheen. It won't be your husband. You want me to tell him where should you? It won't be your husband. Do you understand? It's going to be God the Father of Jesus sitting on that throne. You're going to stand before him, and he's going to be God the Father of Jesus. So at that moment, the only thing that's going to matter, the only thing that will matter is your relationship to God the Father of Jesus. That's got to sink in for you. It's going to be the only thing that matters. John sees a great white throne and the one sitting on it, and the one sitting on it is God the Father of Jesus. He is the one. When everything is finished, he will be the Alpha and the Omega. He will be himself, the beginning and the end. We're talking about God, the Father of Jesus. He sees a great white throne, the scripture says. Now, you just got to try to understand what he's trying to describe because it's impossible to understand. The earth and the sky fled from his presence. The, the, the Greek word there that John uses is his face. The earth and the sky fled from his face and no place was found for them. Okay, think about that. The, the earth and the sky, literally what he says is the heaven and the earth. The, the heavens and the earth have to scoot out of the way. Now stop and understand this. When God's throne, when God in his majesty and his glory is revealed... Please understand, there's no room for anything else. Heaven and earth will collapse under the weight of his majesty in the glory of his throne. Everything that you've always known will just simply have to get out of the way. When God is revealed in this way on his throne, he will be everything that there is. There will be no more place for earth, 
No more place for heaven. Everything else that is created, the universe, the Milky Way, the galaxies, everything will have to be evacuated to make room for his glory. There will be no room for his awesomeness unless everything else in all creation has to get out of the way. Can you even imagine a God like that and you standing before him? Heaven and earth fled from his face. Talk to a lot of people these days and so do you and people who say, I'd I'd like to see God. If I could just see God. That's interesting. Earlier in this service, we sang a chorus that went, one thing I ask that, that I would seek to see your beauty, to find you in the place your glory dwells. I love that. But I'm not sure it's true for us. I don't know if you want to see his face. I say that because at one point, if you read your Old Testament, at one point, People had that opportunity. Ordinary people like you and me had the opportunity to see him. Do you remember? God came down on Mount Sinai. This was during the time of the Exodus, and and Moses was going up to see God. And on the mountain where God had come down, the earth shook. And there was darkness, deep darkness where God was hiding and lightning and flashes of fire. And the people said to Moses, you go. You go. Moses went and he found out what God would say and he came back and reported to the people. And the people got a good look at Moses' blistered face and they said, we don't ever want to see that. We don't ever want that. I'm not sure you really understand what it's going to be to see his face. But one day you will. One day you will stand before him and you will see his face. John says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And heaven and earth fled from his face. Because there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. <laughs> Did you see? He sees God's great throne, but he also sees this long line of people. This long line of people. Do you understand? We're talking about everybody who ever was born, everyone who ever lived on this planet. We're talking about cave people. We're talking about pioneers and Indians. We're talking about Eskimos. We're talking about people who dwell in Mesopotamia and Simpson County and Edmondson County. We're talking about the longest line of people you can possibly imagine. Everyone ever born, naked souls standing before him in one long line, and you're going to be in that line. You're going to be in that line. I hate lines. I hate lines of people. I love people, but I hate to get in a line with them. 
I just don't like to stand in a line of people. In a line, everybody's the same. And I guess that bothers me. I'll just be honest. I just don't like to stand in line. It goes all the way back to elementary school at Rich Pond School. We get in line for the cafeteria. And I would stand in that line thinking, oh, God, help me. I hate this line. And I would try to figure out ways to, 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 to skip line. Do you understand? To move myself up. I wanted to move up. So in elementary school, you discover this little trick. You go up to a friend and say, hey, can I, can I get in front of you? Did you ever do that? Can I get in front of you? And sometimes your friend will let you in front of him. And all the people in the back, they get so mad. Hey, get back. And you say, hey, he let me in front of him. Remember doing that? That awesome? One day I went up to Eddie and realized, I said, Eddie, let me in front of you. You see, I just can't stand to stand in line. Eddie said, I'm not letting you in front of me, but I'll let you behind me. I got behind Eddie Riddle, at which point Greg Odom let me know that getting behind Eddie Riddle was getting in front of him. So he shoved me into the wall. <laughs> and I went to the back of the line. I hate lines. I hate lines. Everywhere you stand in line. The Department of Motor Vehicles. I hate that line. There's always a line. The closest thing to the longest line, but the closest thing to the great white throne has got to be the DMV. Standing there in all of those people, why does everybody go when I go? Why does everybody go on the same day? And you stand in the line, the hospital emergency room waiting room. Have you ever been in that line? Several years ago, I was in the emergency room. I was having a, a panic attack, but I didn't know what I was having. I just thought I was dying. So I'm up there at the desk going, help me, help me. It's an emergency. The lady said, take a seat. We'll get with you. I said, how long will that be? How long? She said, well, I, I don't know. You'll just have to come in your turn in the, in the order that people arrive. I said, well, what number am I? She said, 22. 22nd. So I'm thinking, my wife is a professor at Western's nursing department. So I say, by the way, do you know Casey Harris? <laughs> no, I don't believe I know her. You ever heard of Woodburn Baptist Church? I've heard of that church. I'm the pastor. Guess what? I was still number 22. You see, honestly, this whole line thing, I could make this simpler. If I were in charge, there would always be two lines, one for pastors and one for everybody else. But it never works that way. I sat in that emergency room for four hours, four hours. I went back to the desk and I said, please, how many people are ahead of me now? 21. That means I'm still number 22. After four hours, I was still number 22. I hate a long line of people. Do you understand? This day is going to be the longest line of people you've ever, ever imagined. And you can't imagine, except you're going to be in it. You're just going to be standing there, one naked soul among all the others. You're just going to be standing there. And then you'll stand before God. We all will, one at a time. God's judgment will be personal, it will be final, and it will be detailed. You're going to stand before him and answer for yourself. Now, your first thought's probably, Brother Tim, 
ain't that going to take a really long time? I mean, every person who ever lived is going to stand before God personally and give a full detailed account. Isn't that going to take a long time? I mean, really. And we're talking about every person one at a time. There's no way to calculate the years that that will take. Do you understand? No way to imagine how long that's going to take. Brother Tim, I don't really know if I can believe that because that's going to, that just sounds ridiculous. That's going to take an incredibly long time. And all I've got to ask you back is, do you think you're going to have somewhere else to be? I'm not teasing you. I mean, do you think you're going to have somewhere else to be that day? Do you think you're going to have your watch on? We're not in time anymore. Do you understand? We're in eternity. And talking about something taking a long period of time, that becomes absurd to even think about. We're in eternity. There's not time passing anymore. There's no clock ticking. God himself is the beginning and the end, and you are standing before him. I promise you, you won't be bored. And I also promise you, you're not going to hope that it starts moving a little bit quicker. You won't, for the life of you, wish that you could stand before him sooner than you will. There will be no hurry. Because I'm telling you, for most people to stand before him on that day, it is going to be terrible. It is going to be terrible. John says he saw books opened. Books open. I don't know if that's, that's meant to be literal. I, I don't know if, if there's a library in heaven. I have this strong feeling that God doesn't need to keep records. God doesn't forget. And everything you've ever said or done, every breath you've taken, God keeps that. He knows that he's been there. The point is that everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, it comes back. It all mattered. There will be things coming back that day that you will have forgotten, but God does not forget. Do you understand that? He simply doesn't forget. And you will stand there going through the review of your life. It will be like having your diary read out loud in front of the universe. And there you will stand in full detail as God himself judges you. Books will be opened, the scripture says. And everyone will be judged according to their deeds. That's what the scripture says. Turn back to the book of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. I know some of you are going to get really uncomfortable in the next few minutes, so just hang with me. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Now, some of you are sitting there now thinking, well, Brother Tim, I, I think this will work out okay for me because I've been a pretty good person. 
I've done a lot of good things, and I believe that when I'm standing before God like that, God is going to have some sort of special mercy for me because I've done a lot of good things. I'm basically a, a good person. Everybody says I'm a good person. I've got A's and B's on my report card. I once won most likely to succeed in my senior class. I was Mr. Franklin. I was prom queen. I, I've worked every day, and I've never missed a day of work, you're saying. I've been married to my spouse for 56 years, and I've always been faithful to her. I'm an honest man. I make casseroles and take them whenever anybody is sick. I am a good person. I don't doubt that you are. But you've got to understand something. On that day, when you stand before his blistering face, something tells me that you're not going to really stand there and begin to argue that you made casseroles. You understand? Something tells me that when you stand before him in his perfect righteousness, in his awesome holiness, something tells me that you won't be pulling out your report card. Something tells me when you stand before his majestic goodness, your goodness isn't going to look like much anymore. We will all be judged according to what we have done, the scripture says, and by your deeds, every single one of us will be condemned. The only thing your works can do for you is condemn you. You're good when you compare yourself to other people, but on that day, you won't be compared to other people. You're hoping you'll get to get in line behind Osama bin Laden so when you come up, your life will look tame. It won't matter who you're in line beside or behind. You will stand before God alone and you will give an answer. And your works will condemn you. The only thing your works can do is condemn you. We will all be judged according to what we have done. Books will be opened. Judgment will be in full, perfect detail. The only thing your deeds can do is condemn you. But understand that there are books and then there is a book. <laughs> there are books. And then there is a book. That other book is called what? The book of life. It is whose book of life? The Lamb's book of life. And who is the Lamb? Jesus is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Do you understand? Jesus is the lamb. So on that day, standing before God, there will be books and there will be a book. Now, in all of the other books, what those books contained are names, dates, and places. you understand? It's a record of your deeds. And by those books, every single one of us would be condemned. Do you understand that? Because your deeds can only condemn you. But, but there is a, another book, and there aren't any deeds written in that book. None of my actions, my works, none of my sins are written in that book. The Lamb's book of life just has what? Names. The Lamb's book of life only has names. And whose names are written in the Lamb's book? 
The people who belong to the lamb, do you understand? The people who belong to the lamb, and the lamb is Jesus. So on that day, there there are books, and there is a book. And in that book are written the names of those who have trusted Jesus, the names of those who have taken Jesus as their Savior, the names of those who in this life learn to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. In their hearts, they set apart Christ as Lord. And in that moment, their names get written down. Do you understand? Their names registered in heaven. This Lamb's book of life is is a totally different way of being judged. Do you understand? Because it's not by works. Your works can only condemn you, but the Lamb is the only one who can save you. Are you listening? There are books and there is a book. And you want your name to be found in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus' book. Because while your deeds will only condemn you, only Jesus can save you. Most familiar verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Go back. Everyone whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It all comes down to Jesus. Everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 17 says what? For God did not send his son into the world to judge, to condemn the world, but that what? The world through him might be saved. Do you understand? There are books and there is a book. All of us who stand before God without our names written in the Lamb's book, we will have to be judged according to what's written in the other books. And that will have to do with everything we've ever done. All of the words we have spoken and all of our deeds will only add up to condemn us. And everyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, John says, they were thrown into the lake of fire. I just lost some of you right there, didn't I? Hell is kind of your stepping off point in sermons. And some of you just stepped off right there. Step back on a minute. Let's talk about that a minute. How do you get into the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you think that this is, is, is like in school where one of those mean girls sits down and makes a list of all the people she likes? And then a list of all the people she doesn't like? Do you think that's how God operates? That hell is a place that's just reserved for all the people God doesn't like? Do you think that's how he works? Like the worst girl in your high school? Do you really think that's how it works? That hell is a place where God just sends all the people that he never liked or all the people who didn't come to church? Or do you just really think that's how God operates? Because honestly, you're really, really misinformed. Painfully misinformed if you think that's what hell is. Do you understand? You have a choice. You have a choice to make about where you spend eternity. And honestly, God loves you. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, we're talking about you, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God doesn't want anyone to go into the lake of fire. Are you listening to me? God didn't create you for that. God didn't create hell for that. Hell was created as a place for the devil and his angels. 
angel scripture says it's not supposed to be any people that go there. But people will go there. Why will they go there? Because they choose to. You'll choose to. Understand? If you don't want to be with God, if you don't want to love Jesus, you don't have to be with Jesus. For all eternity, if you don't want to kneel before him, then you'll never have to kneel before him. If you do not want to live in his glory, if you don't want to live in his light, then honestly, you will never have to do that. Hell is the place reserved for those who do not want to spend eternity with Christ. Well, now I lost you again because now you're thinking, well, well, who would choose that? Who in the world would, would turn away from God? Who would choose hell over heaven? Open your eyes. People do it every day. People do it every single day. Have you ever tried to talk to certain people about Jesus and they just don't listen? They just don't care. And I'm telling you, if they don't care, they have a right not to care. God is not going to stick them in heaven and make them miserable. Do you understand? They will be entitled to spend all eternity apart from him if that's what they choose. And people choose that. They choose it every day and some of you are choosing it now. When given a choice to to walk with God, to enjoy the light of his face and, and be saved by grace, having all of your sins forgiven, why in the world would anybody choose not to take God up on that offer? I don't understand, but I know people do it every day. Do it every single day. And that is that other side of God's grace. He's not going to save anyone against their will. He's going to give you freedom and then respect that freedom. Anyone who goes to hell has made the choice to go there. Do you understand? It's not that God just stands and sends you to hell. On that day, you will stand before him. The books will be open. And then God will simply honor the judgment that you have pronounced upon yourself. And those whose names were not found written... In the Lamb's book of life. Thrown into the lake of fire. Which is the second death. Put your hand back over your heart. Can you feel it? Because one of these days, your heart's going to stop. Your breathing's going to stop. Your thoughts are just going to turn off. You're going to be dead. You're going to close your eyes and never open them again. Except that at some point after that, you're going to wake up. Outside of this body and apart from the physical world, you're going to wake up. And you're going to face what happens next. This is what happens next. Pray with me. It's part of being sinful, Lord. It's part of being 
a sinful human being. We just can't fathom the things that have to do with eternity. We, we don't understand how our sins pile to heaven. We, we don't understand God's fierce opposition to everything that harms his creation. We don't understand his great wrath, his great anger. We don't understand how we ourselves can be caught up in that great cosmic struggle between God and evil. But, Lord, we are caught in that struggle, and we are sinners, and we ourselves, Lord, are slaves to evil. But, Lord God, we thank you for loving us so much that you've made a way that we might be set free, not just from evil in this life, but set free from evil in the life to come. Oh, God, we thank you that you've made the promise to to make a new heaven and a new earth where there will be nothing at all to harm us, no hurt. No sorrow, no sickness, no pain. We long for that place. But God, we ourselves are not fit for that place. We ourselves are, are the sinners. We are the ones, Lord, who ruined this creation. And unless something happened in our hearts, Lord, we would only ruin the next creation, Lord. We are sinners. And our sins condemn us. We thank you, Lord God. It's your grace forgives us. It's your grace promises us a place in that perfect new heaven, that perfect new earth. Lord Jesus, I just pray for folks in this house who've never received that offer of salvation, who've never yet humbled themselves and simply said, God, forgive me. God, make my heart right. God, make right everything that's wrong in me. God, give me that home in heaven. God, save me through Jesus, save me. Pray for everyone in the sound of my voice who doesn't really understand the great day coming when they will stand before God and answer for everything, answer for everything. Lord, the only thing to say in that moment will be the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Let us call on your name today. Let us see your face today when your face stands before us to save us, to show us grace, to forgive us, Lord. Let us accept you today as Savior before the day we stand before you as judge. This is the horrible truth of the gospel and the beautiful truth of the gospel. Jesus, I pray folks in this house today will listen to the gospel and so be saved. Not just for this life, but for the life to come. I pray in Jesus' holy, worthy name. Amen.